ladies and gentlemen, niggas and crackers, guys, gals, and, and non-binary pals, hot girls and city boys, saints and ain'ts, and, and all our Harlem family, family welcome, welcome to your very own podcast. of your beloved bi-monthly broadcast on its very own featuring as always your three magnanimous co-hosts i am justin minley aka the world's best pet uncle aka skinny nigga six wings mild sauce with all the fries you can get me i'll tear them bitches off you can listen to it for the gifts man (laughs) oh my god and i i'm uh, joined of course by my boy Yo, what up? It's Jude Ali Severs Wilson, aka the Dilf, the illest living philosopher of Harlem, aka BBC, beautiful black Caucasian, and aka kick your game, talk your shit, spit your flow, can't fuck with this hot boy shit. Nice. Guys, nice. Damn. Nice. We back at it. We back. Shitting on everything. Just my, all my <laughs> AKAs. Well, <laughs> the voice you're hearing right now is your boy Amai K. Simmons, a.k.a. Mr. Blue Marvel himself, a.k.a. Mm. Who's your master? Show <laughs> <Ooh>. enough. <laughs> yeah, man, it's uh, it's good to be back. I don't know, like, it for some reason, this felt like a longer break than it usually does. Maybe it's because yeah. I, like, started doing a lot of other stuff and Very also, true. like, a month passed. You know, the end of March was the beginning of April, so... It was yeah. like a few transitions going on. Um, for those of you who don't know, I have launched my second podcast, The Media Morgue. Um, thank yes, you. Sir. Thank you. Uh, so I'm, I'm pulling double duty, but uh, I'm loving it. And um, yeah, it's, 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 you know, this feels like coming back home, just chilling out with the homies. He's um, DP with podcasts. He's double podcasting. He's DP. Mr. 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 Producer. Mr. Producer himself, you know. Yeah, here I am. That's right. Um, and uh, yeah, so we're we're coming to the last three months of our season, season four of yes. HBO. And uh, one of the things that we, you know, that I wanted to say uh, that we talked about is that we're we're going to take a break from guests for the rest of the season. Uh, we're kind of going really hard with that. And that's great because that's part of what the show is about. But we also don't want to forget, you know, the core team here and making sure we have our chemistry on lock. And uh, it's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, that's the priority, right? And then the, the coordination of getting guests on is a lot of energy for all of us. And also, you know, we want to make sure that when we do have people on, they respect what the show is, you know? And so one did not. <laughs> and so. I want to so, names, but no, I'm being but, spicy. Yeah, yeah. But uh, what we, we um, you know, we, I, I know I take it very personally when, um, when the show is. Uh, when it's taken advantage of. Yes. Yeah. We're going to focus on us for the rest of the season. Guests, of course, are always integral to the show. And uh, in season five, there's going to be a lot of changes. I'm really excited. First of all, we got to get new photos so we can get a mod on the oh, cover yes. uh, coming back with just a whole visual overhaul. But more on that when it happens. So, um, yeah, getting back to basics, we're going to go That's into right. our segments today. And we're starting off with In This Corner. Jude, uh, what's the fight news, friend? In This Corner. <clears throat> so... <laughs> I think in about two uh, around two weeks ago, we had we have a new heavyweight champion in the UFC. That's right. One Francis Ngannou from 
the country of Cameroon in Africa. This mm-hmm. man, whew, he fought a great champion in Stipe Miocic, a Croatian mm-hmm. Clevelandite, great fighter, amazing firefighter as well, volunteer fire, firefighter. A white oh. man that I will always root for. <laughs> but <laughs> but in, in, in this case, ooh, it didn't end so well for Stipe because... Francis Ngannou, let me just give you his, the stats on this man. The man is six foot three, no, six really? foot like four, mm-hmm. 263 pounds. And he has been knocking people out like Mike Tyson in the 1980s. Yeah. The man is petrifying. He is built like a crane and his fists are like wrecking balls. <laughs> <laughs> he fought Miocic. I believe in 2018 and lost and lost. We'll give it to him. He lost, but he did amazing in this fight. Mm-hmm. He changed his whole game before he was just striking because when you have wrecking balls for fists, that's all you do. And when he's knocked people out, you think they die. I right. seriously thought someone dies. Right. And he came out way more composed. His wrestling got better. was able to defend the base takedowns was able to engage distance, manage his distance, mm-hmm. and just picked him apart. And in the second round, he folded this man like a table at a black barbecue. <laughs> and, oh, oh my. It, it, it's petrifying to watch him knock people out. You want yeah. to see it happen, but then you don't want to see the after effects of it. Mm-hmm. It's like you want to see right. the hit, but you just want you want the screen to go to black because yeah, right. you just don't want to see this go down. Well, well, not only did he fooled him, but he also like the what's scary for me watching that uh, that footage is not only him like knocking Stipe out and you see his legs bend under him, but then the hammer fist. Oh, the hammer fist like, like, bounces yeah. his head off the canvas like before no, what's, Herb can get in there. That's scary for me. But my thing is when you hit someone and your leg that is supposed to be you know you're supposed to be. Over your leg. The fact mm-hmm. that your foot, the top of your foot is under you and you're doing a stanky leg and you're on like, <laughs> like <laughs> that's just you, you felt like a swastika. Like he went like this. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, he was tilted. It was terrifying. He was tilted. It was terrifying, but he's just and Francis is a humble, humble champion. Mm-hmm. There's the heavyweight division in the UFC has never been so exciting since. Um, Brock Lesnar was fighting, mm-hmm. but he's going to bring this new energy to the heavyweight division by mm-hmm. also the challenger coming up is John Jones. John Jones is coming up from 205 right. and he's, I don't know how much he's gained, but there's talks that he's saying no to some of the money that Dana, Dana White, the president of the UFC is trying to give him. He said no to 8 million. And honestly, he cannot, he should absolutely get more because the the damage that Francis Ngannou can do cannot cover by cannot be covered by eight million dollars. It cannot. <laughs> right, right. And yeah. as always talks about you know people think John Jones is scared or whatever. No, he's not. John Jones is an amazing champion. He's un, he's practically undefeated. His only loss was a disqualification, a technical twelve to six. So when a clock for the the ones who are listening, twelve to six is like a clock, and at twelve and six, your elbow going vertically down on your opponent that's mm-hmm. illegal i'm trying to get that overturned but that's his only loss is it's disqualification right. and john jones has knocked people out submitted people and taken people to the distance mm. right so no matter what people say about him even though his last couple fights were a little shaky he's still the man 
He's still mm-hmm. John Jones. So it's a real uh, coin toss with that one. That's like a real, I mean, every fight's a real fight, but that's a real, I don't know, fight. And sure. I like that. It's interesting because you're going to see a whole new side of John Jones mm-hmm. where he's, the, he's absolutely the underdog, I think, in this. At this point. Because I think uh, the thing was no one was expecting um, uh, Ngannou to beat Miocic because it's 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 well maybe not no one but like the there's always this thing of like well if these two people are the same ish weight and they pretty much were mm-hmm. then you lean toward the person who you think is more technical Wait. and Miocic is a very technical very technical fighter. but also Ngannou got thirty pounds on the man. Let me ooh. Mm. 260. Uh, well, and I think as of now, it's, in like 230. Google says Nganu is uh, 249 pounds and Miocic is 240. Really? I thought it was 30 pounds heavier. No, no, but he, but Nganu is uh, 30 pounds heavier, actually closer to 40 than <laughs> than uh, John Jones. Okay, but of course, we we pr- we presume that that Jones would have time to uh, to bulk up. Oh no, no, John, uh, and John Jones looks pause big. Yeah. <laughs> Ahmad, what did you uh how did you feel about the outcome of this fight? Uh honestly, <laughs> I saw it and I, I've seen I've seen posts posts about it because of uh Israel. He he was he was posting about it. He re- he honestly recorded like him and him and his boys watching the fight. Um mm-hmm. and I'm always, I'm always gonna root for for uh, black people. But um you know, I, I saw that knockout, and he did get folded like an omelet. You know, um, <laughs> he yeah, did yeah, get folded yeah. like an omelet. So yeah. uh, I'm kind of I'm kind of happy his, that his head his head hit the ground before his knees did. Like that's how far back yes. his head got snapped. Yeah, and then like his, rainbow. <laughs> he fell like this, and then his knees went forward. Like oh it my. was so brutal. And, and y'all, a lot of y'all have seen because at least if you were on our Instagram, you saw the uh, the image uh, that they captured where Nganu is punching Stipe, and his head is like it's like it's a on the artwork shape. of this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like a, it's it, he punches him and turned him into a two D cartoon character. Yes, <laughs> yes, Yo, it was like watching Popeye uh, hit a nigga. Yeah. Oh my god! Like it. it can can you imagine? And this is this is like, you know, you know how uh, back when uh, folks would do this shit on Facebook, they were like, well, "Would you get hit by Mike Tyson for five million dollars?" No. Mm. Would you get hit by Francis Ngannou for ten million dollars? Ten million dollars? I don't know if there's one to your jaw. The damage <laughs> being done is not worth ten million dollars. Think a about clean that. Man. You're a vegetable. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. So here's the thing. Let me look this up. Um, Are you about to say the thing that Dana said about how he has the power of like a truck or something I'm in his hands? A clean hook to your jaw. So, yeah. so the average. Let me, let me, let me put this in perspective. The average cost of corrective jaw surgery can start <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> He went to corrective jaw surgery. No, no, no. <laughs> Justin, he brain no, but I'm saying, but I'm saying, if, if, if I'll break, I'll break my jaw if, all day, brain damage, sir. But okay, but I'm saying, like, if Unganu is like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna hit you a clean hit. Like you're not moving around, you're standing still. I'm gonna crack you in the jaw, right? That's probably gonna. He's not gonna swing, like, hit your head because you know that's rude. So let's say he aims at your jaw, right? The the lowest is 20k, and they can go as high as 40k. So. 
like is this an untaxed 10 million dollars like is it just straight or do they do they take out like a i mean we live in new york so you definitely gonna have some taxes taken out right Um, right it's like the lottery tax yeah they take out like two mil (laughs) (laughs) um but even so like after that, I get I get myself, I get my jaw fixed. I get like some like maybe some grills. What about you? Yeah. <laughs> grills? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Teeth are gone. And I think, hold on, I think it's a like a gram per tooth that gets when mm. it gets knocked out, and you have to. Oh yeah, it. yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a, it's well, a stack per tooth. That reminds me, like people people on TikTok getting like veneers, oh, like disgusting. shaving their teeth down and, and then putting and veneers on when they look like sharks. Yeah, yeah. weird. It's it's Why nasty. Would you do that? It's, it's, it's yeah. It's, it, no, it, there's really never any need. I mean, sometimes like if you have literal tooth and jaw problems, like some of the stuff that, uh, you know, uh, like my mom, for example, has been going through recently, or even my brother. Like, you know, if you have like gum, you need to get like your uh, like scaling or anything like that. That makes sense because it's like usually helpful too. Like when his yeah, um, exactly. tooth was like digging in this way. Exactly, root wow. canals and all that. But it, like it's it's kind of people falling victim to the whole um to just the aesthetic thing. And uh, usually, even if your teeth aren't cartoon straight, anime straight, they're still functional and they're still serviceable. And Jude, you've had Invisalign for a few years now, right? Yes. So people who want to do Invisalign, don't do it online or do any of that um, stuff you see online. Get a dentist because what Mm -hmm. Invisalign doesn't do is make adjustments. My dentist, Dr. Uh, Ambert, Laura Ambert, uh, all the way downtown. Love you. Shout out. (laughs) Shout out to you. I'll see you later. (laughs) She paused, drills my teeth, and uh, I've been watching too much camera on, and that nigga says pause over everything. So <laughs> she drills my teeth to make to make space, and okay, and she she, she guides you every way, every single yeah. way. Make those small adjustments so your teeth can fit in the um in in the Invisalign. Yeah, yeah. so you're not just like Man, so getting the you're not just getting the molding, and then they're like, all right, you're going going like this. No, she'll be like, all right, this tooth is a little bit more stubborn. We're gonna put a button on here and like, you know, make some space on this side, mm-hmm. make some space on this side. Okay, she's, she's surgical with it. Yeah. Oh, she's well, I, and it's five I, real quick. It's five grand, but it's for the whole treatment, and it's worth it when yeah. you have that much time. Mm. Yeah. Anyways, back to these fights. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yo, yeah. <laughs> I I don't know. Listen, I love it when I don't know about a fight. Because mm-hmm. every fight, you you kind of have a feeling. Mm-hmm. And then you're, and then you prove him wrong, like we were about uh, Israel Adesanya and and Blahovich. We were absolutely yes. proven wrong. I really thought yeah, yeah. Adesanya was gonna knock that dude out, but no. Um, but with John Jones, I really don't know because John Jones is a martial artist, and yeah. I we love martial artists. Mm-hmm. Public might not people might love Ngannou because he'll just knock niggas out. I don't I don't know Ngannou that well to call him martial artist or not. He's still honorable. He's still a humble yeah. dude, but I don't know if he's just the artist like we are. But he, right, he right, I, right. but I will not disrespect him and say he won't knock me the fuck out. He'll knock me the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> but I really don't know. It's 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 been way too long since I've seen John Jones in a fight, and uh, I, I honestly I honestly believe that he he and Francis might have an amazing fight like i'm pretty sure they might go for all the rounds mm. the money gotta be right the money has yeah. gotta be right you, yeah. you, you you're you bringing back you're bringing back one of the one of the, like the most diabolical people that were that was in ufc just 
This man said, who was his name? What was his name to David? David Cormier. Yes. David Cormier. Yeah. This man said, I did, I did a lot of cocaine the night before our fight, and I still beat your ass. Like he can do this on the regular. Like and and mind you, okay, David and Francis are two different people, but mm-hmm. John always bring that heat everywhere he. Could you mean you you said David? You mean uh, Daniel DC? Daniel yeah. Cormier? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The chubby black dude that looks like a Donuts Munchkin. <laughs> <laughs> but he's Love a fighter, DC. man. No, but my ass. I don't care. But I still fuck DC's with a fighter, <laughs> and he's so nice. And he's so nice because I was yeah. watching him and um Stipe play video games the day before the fight with um Ingano. Mm. And I'm mm. like, and, and Miocic just knocked his ass out twice. Mm. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so nice to see. Yeah. <laughs> no, D- DC for a guest spot on HVO. Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like he'll be nice to us. And I was yeah. also watching, um, they were talking about on the on the uh, group chat, Justin, with uh, GGF, how John Jones is not like a million, mm. a million dollar draw when it comes to pay-per-views. He hasn't sold that many pay-per-views that hit mm. a million, over a million dollars. But He's not that charismatic. We love him, but he's, he's not that charismatic. He's just he's a, when he's when he's a dick, he's just a dick. Yeah, like mm. when he, like even when him it's, and DC were first about a fight, they were had that back and forth on ESPN. And DC's, I think DC said, "I'm gonna spit in your face," and John Jones was like, "I will absolutely kill you." I'm like, <laughs> I felt that. I was like, "Whoa." Yeah, it's it's different from like um, Adesanya uh, and McGregor. Adesanya is just an entertainer. Entertaining dickheads, right? Muhammad right. Ali, entertaining dickhead. Yeah, and, and they and they they supersede um, just the UFC, which is why like it tends to kowtow to them and kind of like go with what they want. John Jones is famous among UFC fighter martial arts heads, right? Mm-hmm. But he doesn't necessarily penetrate beyond that. Because people, yeah, but people will tune in just to see Conor McGregor because they know who because he, he's a meme. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, especially since the Mayweather fight. So, um, yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, it's an interesting time. It's the, it's probably the most unpredictable the UFC has been, um, in a mm. while, obviously speaking of McGregor, you know, he lost to, um, homeboy. Why can't I remember his name? Uh, the guy, he oh, just Justin Poirier. they had the third fight. Yeah. They just signed the third fight. I think that's going to happen in July. Right. And, and we got real, the, again, we got like no Paul telling. Askren. What? Yeah. Paul and Askren. Okay. Oh yeah. 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 Wait, it, isn't that coming? That's out? at the end of the month. That's in the end of the oh, month. I think it's on the third, April seventeenth. I won't be able to watch it because I'll be uh, at my. Uh, I'll be in DC for my brother's wedding. Yeah, but, you um, can watch the fight. Don't, don't, <laughs> like, uh, don't renew their vows or something during the wedding <laughs> during the ceremony. Put that alive, that guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. it's it's such a it's such a weird time. Um, and there's 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 like a new wave of of champions coming in you know the uh, there's african champions in three divisions now oh yo yeah. africans are taking over man and that's yeah. amazing this is yeah. this is kind of scary this is lit i think it's also <laughs> wait no i want to see if there were any right oh and then we have a black champion yeah well we don't know if he's like for real for real because it's a disqualification uh aljamain sterling oh yes 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 that's i like that guy though i like him too but i i, I like him but the way he's been going about the disqualification, yeah. kind of boosting it a little bit. I'm like, dude, dude, just sh- sh- relax fuck up, and let it get back out. to the gym and yeah. really win. Yeah, yeah, let it. You play deserve out. you deserve the victory because that dude was was wrong for kneeing you when you were down. Mm-hmm. 
But then we also have to have the conversation about a rule change maybe because to have a rule restricting something like that will make it easier for other fighters to take advantage of that. Sure. You know? Sure. Like take, take away uh, some of those rules to make us better, to make the yeah. fighters better. Yeah. I mean, um, I'll, I'll get back to that. I just wanted to say as far as listing the, the champions, it's Kamaru Usman in middleweight, right? Uh, welterweight uh, and Adesanya. And welterweight. Adesanya in middleweight and now uh, Nganu in heavyweight. There's, oh, light heavyweight is still Jan. Yeah, Jan Blachowicz. Jan Blachowicz, yeah. Uh, uh, but Adesanya was going for it. Mm. Yeah. Um, no, well, Arsifu has talked about this. Like, a lot of the rules in UFC are due to perception. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, the 12 to 6 elbow, which is, you know, you can't take your your elbow and, as if you were painting a clock, like, drop it from 12 o'clock to 6 o'clock on top of someone's head, for example. Mm-hmm. Or, I guess, anywhere on their body, right? No, um, I think it's just the head. The head. Because it, yeah. it looks more brutal. It looks like a though, guillotine just going. <laughs> right. Even though all elbows are like kind of equally dangerous, depending like if I angle it this way and smack you in the back of the neck, that's not less dangerous, you know. And you I mean? can't hit in the back of the head. That's anything, rapid. Anything in, in in the back of the neck or in the back of the head is is illegal anyway. Yeah, it's lethal yeah. as fuck. Like you, you would, that's an instant knockout to somebody. So right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that, and then the the you know the knee on like kneeing while the person's getting up, or you can't attack while the person has hands on the mat. Now, I think that this is an area that that could be changed when you look at the um, the growing popularity of grappling, right? Because mm-hmm. that in itself, I was saying to, to our Sifu, is a game. Like the person trying to get back up and the person trying to keep them down. Now it's like, okay, well, maybe I can manipulate your legs, you know, go for a single or a double or Imanari or whatever. So it even discourages the person from trying to like actively attack them because they're still play there i know they have like the person on the on the canvas can choose to turn on their back and then go full jujitsu mode mm-hmm. like, you know to turtle um but uh uh yeah i think that that there's room to kind of um expand that what's going yeah. on in women's ufc is are women's um rose namahunas rose namahunas is fighting uh valentina shevchenko i believe oh shevchenko yes yes or, i think yeah it's one of them because the divisions are like so close and they're all built kind of the same when once you get mad light like 115 and 125 they're just inches away from each other right um one no no it is Zhang. it is Zhang. it's Zhang. Zhang. Zhang 24th awesome oh i don't know man because i'm looking forward rose. to it i love rose but the way Zhang wei li just turned yoana into a football <laughs> helmet <laughs> it scared the hell out of me oh and uh, amanda nunez fought <laughs> At that um Nganu fight too, she fought it on that card. Beat that yes. chick's ass. That that woman got kicked out the UFC after that fight. Yeah. What? Yeah. Amanda. The Nunes, woman she fought. Yes. Amanda Nunes mm-hmm. just beats these chicks up like nothing. <laughs> nothing. And she just puts like she's on the street face after that. Yeah. Yo, she she's so scary. She's petrifying. Yeah. yeah no, she, I still remember the first time I watched her fight, um, uh, Cyborg. Uh, I mean, just devastation. And she, she's and like she, a transformer. <laughs> and that's fucked up, Justin, because she's a lesbian, man. That's fucked up. Oh, no. I mean, I just meant in terms Justin, of... Justin, in terms of... That's can you please speak power. up into the mic so that we can... Her power. Let me turn up the gain on this. Um, her power. She was a transformer. We're going to put that into our files. Um, um, Jeff, we, we got him. 
<laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. We got him. Um, no, but uh, uh, yeah, no, Zhang is is really cool. She's one of the fighters I follow on Instagram because I, I like her personality. I like how dedicated she is. I like how she's trying to communicate more with her fans and show more of her outside of the ring. Mm-hmm. And I also think her training is dope. Um, that's yeah. another really scary woman. And uh, yeah, she's a fighter. I mean, regardless of how she deformed uh, Young Jacek when they fought, um, it was a, she, it was a pretty even match. Like they were was. going toe to toe for a minute. It was. And I think she's also the first Asian UFC champion. First Chinese. First Chinese? Who's the first Asian one? Specifically. I think, um, I don't know if she's the first Asian period, but I know she's the first Chinese champion. Well, BJ can be considered Asian. He's Hawaiian, but his mother is something. Let me see about the, uh, about. uh, Nope, nope. My bad. My bad. It was my study alarm. Um, I was looking at Jung Chan Sung. Korean zombie, but oh, I don't know. No, I mean champion, like champion, champion. Yeah, no, I don't know if he's a if he's won anything. Um, he, he had a title shot with Jose Aldo. No, Jose Aldo. I need to say clearly because in Portuguese and Brazilian, they Jose. say jo, no Jose. They they they, 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 they pronounce that J. Oh, with a J. Yeah. Oh, okay, and then right, but then it's the the uh, the R is the, R's the, R's the H. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hedio Gracie, he, yeah, and all that. Um, uh, yeah, so. Uh, it's an exciting time. That that Rose and Wiley fight should be really cool. That's I'm another one I don't know about. Finding a way to watch it. Yeah. Anyways, on our next segment, and what's popping? Brand new whip just hopped in. Let's bring up our spirits a little bit first. Lil Nas X. Oh, right. Our, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Lil Nas X. Are we bringing up our spirits? Or? <laughs> this uh, might, this could it's be it's less depressing than the next one. But You're right. <laughs> You're right. Um, yeah. Uh, well, so obviously, uh, this is like a few weeks old, this news. Obviously, Lil Nas X released a music video for Montero, Call Me By Your Name. I haven't watched the full thing, um, but... Uh, it's, it's, why like, not? It's it's like, I, the I thugged it out. <laughs> I thugged that shit out. I said pause the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> just as a, just We love our LGBTQ homies and guys, guys, and non-binary pals. Non-binary but like, I'm a Harlem nigga, um, yo. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's it's it, it sparked some controversy for obvious reasons. There's a there's a point in the video where he's uh, he's he's lap dancing on a on a on a satanic on figure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, you know, it it sparked some 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 blowback, obviously, namely from the Christian community, and not oh, just. Justin, you really have to that. <laughs> Wait, I, I, I couldn't hold that in. I couldn't hold that. In. <laughs> sorry, you I'm sorry. Anywhere on this episode. <laughs> I am so sorry. That was <laughs> hilarious. Oh, that was hilarious. It <laughs> sparked some resistance to to uh to the video. Yeah. Um and there's there's some layers to this because uh you know it it, it is in some cases tied into some of the general like uh, the general reactions we've been seeing to, to sexual imagery, hypersexuality in media. Uh, you know, when WAP came out, obviously there were a lot of uh, Christian pundits and yeah. conservative people who were speaking out yep. against that too. And that's heterosexual, but also no has bisexual undertones, overtones really in the video too. Like Meg right. and Cardi uh, are, are entangled at several points. Yeah. Uh, and so, the Grammys entangled. 
and the Grammys, right. <laughs> Performing it on stage. And Candace Owens had a lot to say about that. Um, of course. But no one has touched I, Candace Owens in 30 years. <laughs> That's so as the me, but also, like, Candace <laughs> Owens is just, can just be gone because she's just wild. And yeah, yeah oh. no, she, she exists. She exists to create controversy. Um, and she, she pretends that being black and conservative makes her any less of a pawn than like being black and liberal. Like it's two sides of the same coin and she's just, this is just how she's getting her check. But the, the way that she, I mean, the way that she's committed to pretending she believes in any of the things she says is I honestly kind of impressive. Um, but, uh, we're not talking Take some about acting that. notes guys. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, so the the thing the thing for for me because not it wasn't only the video, but then immediately afterward he announced the sale of these uh, Satan shoes. shoes that he was putting out, and um, you know, look here's here's in some in summation what I think playing with the concept of hell is not the best thing to do, and I and I know that it's like it's kind of lame to say that. But, you know, it's first of all, it's not just a, a Christian um, uh, conception. You know, it's also a thing in Islam as well. Uh, and, it, and it isn't just in, you know, this video. We see it a lot, even when even in casual conversation or, you know, sometimes when you, we, we say go to hell or, you know, you go into hell for that. Like the concept of hell, right, is, is uh, speaking. I'm not Islamic. Uh, I'm not Muslim, but uh, uh, speaking from the Christian point of view, the the main thing is eternal separation from God. These shoes, you know, they have uh, a scriptural. They have a scripture notation on them to Luke ten eighteen, which is a reference to Jesus saying, "I saw Satan fall like lightning out of heaven," and he's speaking to his disciples. He's saying, "You have the power to, you know, cast out demons to exorcise people," because I witnessed this thing happen. Uh, and apparently they purport to contain a, a drop of human blood in them. And it, and whether or not that's true, you know, this is it, it, all of this culminated in uh, in Holy Week, right? A few days before Good Friday and then Easter. Um, and that is a very targeted thing. Like, you know, he's he's he made a point. He made a point to do this because. I'm sure that he has experienced a lot of what he feels like is is ostracization uh, from the Christian community. If he grew up in 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 one, which it's it's assumable that he did, um, and so he's um, he's flipping it and he's expressing his his anger and or his. I mean, Lil Nas is like the biggest troll. One, I, I followed him he's on Twitter for nine. a long time. The, yeah, yeah, uh, or he might be just or just six nine because didn't six nine send him that DM? Oh yeah, that too. Uh-huh. Uh, there's so many jokes. There's so many jokes. <laughs> but not getting into that because that's its own thing. I'm just saying, like, um it, it, homeboy. it feels like a very uh it's obviously like a lot like all art, it's personal, it's coming from a personal place. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that it's not the coolest thing to disregard how how actual Christian people might be feeling about it in response, right? I was in a class, for example, uh, uh, one of my uh, one of my classes at Pace, and they opened up the class just like I guess by way of icebreaking. But the professors were talking about the video and everything, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, like it's just so smart and so brilliant." And like he puts the Bible scripture on there, and like that's great because it doesn't mean anything. And like now I'm sitting here, right, and I'm pretty much keeping my mouth shut. But at the time they start talking about the shoes and like the scripture and everything is where I start to get a little heated because it's like, well. I don't, I don't think we should be so cavalier about assuming that just because, 
you know, in any space, assuming that everyone has the same exact point of view as we do. Right. Um, and especially on the, you know, on the precipice of something like Easter, which is even more than Christmas, the most uh, crucial Christian holiday and season um, to, to kind of have that very boisterous, flippant attitude about it uh, was, was kind of uh, disturbing to me. And so I spoke up about it and I was like, you know, Hey, listen, I'm not, I don't mean to be a, a buzzkill, but it is the most important week in the Christian religion. So if we could just kind of move on. Plus it's like the class started at 10 and it's 10, 10. Now we're still talking about little Nas X. So like, can we, yeah. you know, can we get what I came here to, to, to talk, to learn? Um, and it's, 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 uh, um, I think ultimately we just have to remember that a lot of people get Christianity bogged down in politics. 31% of the world population is Christian. That's like 2.3 billion people. And there are 380 million something in America. And maybe a number of those people subscribe to Democrat or Republican. And then that colors how they view. But it's so much bigger than America. So when we bottle it down into, oh, great, this is pissing off Republicans, Republican Christians, and Mm -hmm. that's something that's good. It's also like, well, are we looking at the larger picture of, of, of what this faith means to people around the world? You know, it's again, it's a very American centric thing. And I think that's just a perspective that people aren't paying much attention to. Also, before I, you know, I've, I've talked a lot about this. Um, I just wanted to say that what I found out this morning is that there was a lawsuit uh, from Nike yeah. to halt the sale of the shoes because mm-hmm. it has the swoosh on them and it's kind of like unsanctioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he actually lost Lil Nas lost the lawsuit, so he had to pause the sale of the shoes until further notice. And real quick, uh, it was funny to bring this rack around. John hmm. Jones was about to burn all his Nike gear because he thought that Nike really put this out. <laughs> <laughs> like the same way that people were uh, were acting with um, Colin oh, Kaepernick, yep. burning jerseys and stuff. Yeah, and of course, I, sh- I, sh- I should mention that uh, he planned to release 666 pairs, which is in itself a reference to uh, the Mark of the Beast wow. in Revelation. Uh, which is uh, a, a, a satanic figure as well. So yeah, that's that's my thoughts on it. Opening thoughts. I pass it to you, Jude. Oh no, I want to hear mine. I I feel okay. like I've been talking a lot of shit. I haven't heard of mine in a minute. What up, lad? I mean, I mean, hey, okay. So I was looking on Time Magazine and they were talking about it, and which I've seen this through. Um, I've seen this through Facebook. Uh, my this black theater page that I'm that I'm a part of. Um, and they have their thoughts about it because most of them are LGBT, so they were a full-on 100% stand for this video, for this music video. Um, but for Time Magazine, they were saying that the media, the video has drawn praise and not just among those uh, celebrating its proud embrace of LGBTQ imagery and themes. Another um, contingent has also excitedly rallied around the music video historical scholars. So Montero crossed his three-minute runtime and stuff with Greco-Roman and medieval Christian motifs and messages in both Greek and Latin. And said, uh, Lil Nas said he wanted to deploy this type of um, iconography and symbolism to draw a connection between ancient and modern-day persecution he was saying mm-hmm. i wanted to use these things that i've been around for so long to tell my own story and the story of so many other people in the community or people who have been outcast in general through history and he says it's the same thing over and over um so <clears throat> basically 
in the in the um the video it, it talks about the Garden of Eden, where it shows the symbolism in there, it shows the Colosseum, his descent into hell, hence the pole, that long ass pole right. that he's anyways, um and he stripper pole he's sliding down, right? Basically. Yeah. And he makes his way to Satan and starts grinding on him and uh kills him at the end. Kills him at the end. He takes his crown. Does he kill him? Yeah. Oh, he ta- oh he becomes Satan. Got yeah. It. Becomes the the, the 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 dark lord. But um, I've seen plenty of people um, make negative comments about the video. They mm-hmm. I've seen many people praise the video, and you know it's very. I, I I find it very confusing because of the songs we grew up on. You know, it can be oh, it can mm-hmm. mean one thing, but then it can be. It, the, the original meaning is something totally different. Like mm-hmm. when people were saying that, oh, um, the the weekend song, like when it was about cocaine, he won the Kids' Choice Award. He did it because, you know, the the lyrics they didn't really get them. They didn't really understand it, and people still would have listened to "Call Me by Your Name," even if he wouldn't have put the music video out. Like this mm-hmm. is. The only reason why they're having an uproar is because of this music video, and we'll and how how many times and the shoes and and, and the shoes. Pretty sure it would have been they would have like gotten less flack if it wasn't for him uh, putting out those shoes. And it sounds not that good, to be honest. It's not. It's not Old Town Road. And the thing (laughs) is that Old Town Road is not even a kid's song, (laughs) and there was so many kids. Playing that song in their schools, you don't know how many videos or how many schools have had that song. Well, it 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 ties into this um this this debate about artist responsibility, right? But you know, at the end of the day, if you're a parent who's concerned that your child might be hearing something that could affect their point of view one way or another, then you do have the power, at least within a certain, within a certain frame mm-hmm. to limit that. I mean, you know, yeah. and we all know when a kid gets to a certain age, they're going to do what they want anyway. And that's part, that's part of life. Right. But um, to, to say, Oh, um, this video is bad because my kid, you know, my kids in here, like my kids watching this um, you know, my kid is on YouTube all the time or TikTok all the time. Like, again, there are ways to, to limit that. It's, it's, you can't, if, if you're going to right if you're going to give your child access to the internet because it can keep them entertained and maybe then you don't have to talk to them for eight hours of the day, uh, then you should also be prepared to limit what you don't want them to see. It, it's, it comes with the territory, but you can't have your cake and then complain about the icing. Yeah. Uh, Come on but yeah, Jude, go, go, go ahead. I, I'm not coming from a Christian household or anything. I don't really care <laughs> about the video. Right. <laughs> and I, I get, you know, how it could be offensive or whatever. But also, I didn't view it as, like, him just dissing y'all and being mm. disrespectful. It was, it seems more like, and in, in almost like an NWA kind of thing. Like, oh, word, I'm, I'm going to hell because I'm gay. All right, I'll show you hell. I'll show you what's popping. Like, NWA right. says, you call me a nigga, you beat my ass in the street. I, I'm a nigga with an attitude. That's right. the kind of thing I got from it. And then I, I, I just like Greek shit. So once I saw like, you know, the, uh, some, some, some of the mythology with it, mm-hmm. I saw the angel, what looked like to me, Icarus, mm. uh, 
like as Lil Nas X being some kind of Icarus. Mm-hmm. And I think his image, his face was in an angel and it was sending him back down to hell. Like, yo, you cannot fly too high. You flew mm-hmm. too high already. Mm-hmm. You got to humble yourself and chill out. That's one thing I got from the video. But what it really looked like to me was somebody who's been marginalized, mm-hmm. who's like, word, this is this is what you said. All right, I'm going to show you what's up. I'm going to be the king of this shit and I'm taking you down. Right. In, in his own like way. And it may not yeah. come off you know, nicely, but you know, when, when do things that are revolutionary come off nicely? Sure. And also sure. we have to also, I think, respect Lil Nas X a little bit more sometimes because he's a marginalized person. Yeah. Black, but also he has like the two strikes thing on him. Mm-hmm. He's black and he's gay. Yeah. If he was a woman, trans, <laughs> gay, black. black, all that, he fucked, <laughs> Yeah, you know? <laughs> so that's my thing with Nas. It's just, i I, the video is also not for, for us. I'm no, watching the video and I'm, I, I was watching Gay Wap. That's all I was watching. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's all I was watching. <laughs> and it's not for me. It's But he did and he should do what he's able to do with his art. He still has freedom mm-hmm. of speech. You should be respectful and responsible with it sometimes. But as as y'all said, you people got to keep an eye on their kids and what they're watching. Mm-hmm. And go to things that you enjoy. Don't Go someplace to make you mad. The thing about hell and Satan and casting out your demons, maybe there should be another conversation about the fear of death because that's the thing we all, uh, I feel like I fear, and I don't know if we all fear it, but I feel like the general population fears death in some kind of way. And viewing as, yeah, I know hell is like the bad and heaven is good, but also we're, we are going six feet under. Like most of us might be going six feet under. Yeah, yeah. We have funerals or or being cremated or whatever religion you are, you'll go the way you go. But to maybe take ownership of that fear of death, because you're taken into hell where that's all there is, is death. Mm -hmm. And taking ownership of that and finding comfort in your discomfort with death. Mm -hmm. And not viewing death as the enemy. And also, Justin, you and me are both JKD dudes seeing both sides of the coins. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not saying, Justin, go be a satanic person. A Satanist. No, I Don't know what Satanist, you mean. But, but, but take, but find the truth in somewhere within what, you know, they might right. be saying in those videos or well, in, in, in well, the Well, yes. I mean, well, cause well, listen, if, if, if heaven is real, then hell also has to be real. Mm-hmm. So they, they're both truths, right? It's just like a matter of, um, there's there's a line there's a obviously a, a a wide berth between recognizing something is real and participating in it or 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 consuming it or stepping into it you know but I I think that yeah like you said it's art it's expression we can't take that away from him we can't take his experience away from him why would I blame um, someone who doesn't believe in Christianity for his unbelief for his his disbelief that that's not his fault if anything it's the fault of the people who who were supposed to be or who purported to be guiding him toward that and then uh and then and then cast him away from it because i know people who are who are gay or who are queer identified and still have a relationship or seek to have a relationship with christ or or a christian walk right so it's like that that's this is a this is a thing like a lot of people feel at war with because it's not always there there is a there is a sect of 
you kind of see it jokingly displayed in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia with the character of Mac. That's hilarious. Who's a devout Catholic, but then he realizes he's also gay. So they're at war with each other, right? But that's a reality for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. It's not always, oh, me coming out was also me shedding this antiquated way of life with my, with the religion. It's also sometimes me coming out is like a, is like a, is a point of, uh, of conflict for me because I don't know how to resolve it with, with my faith. I forgot I knew a lesbian reverend, actually. I totally forgot I knew someone like that. <laughs> oh, really? I swear. Ellen DeGeneres? <laughs> no, she's way um, cooler. She's way cooler than Ellen DeGeneres. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Ellen's kind she, of- she, worst, has a, right? she has a child that she gave birth to, and I think she chose black sperm for it. I don't think she actually had sex, but she you know, oh. was like picking this. Oh, wow. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, listen, as long as- got a beautiful biracial baby. What's up, kid? How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> As long as we're here, I will mention um, this uh, minister, I'll say, and poet and uh, rapper named Jackie Hill Perry. I thought about to say Farrakhan. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, Jackie Perry. And she talks a lot about having experienced, not through external means, but through a purely spiritual, emotional transition, having experienced a conversion, if you will, from homosexuality to heterosexuality she used to live as a as a masculine you know stud fem uh, uh woman um a lesbian woman had lesbian relationships and then had you know found christ went through a process of learning you know herself and the bible and then you know and the way because she has a book about this that i've read and she doesn't describe it as like being a thing where oh i was always bisexual and i didn't know She's like straight up, like you know, I have have uh, experienced uh, a change, and now she's married, and she has like three, four kids. She's married to a man, and she has three, four children. So that's also, I mean, these are all things that like are kind of boiling in the pot together. But you know, yeah, at the end of the day, um, I just, uh, I, I, I would hope that there can be a resolution and a healing for Lil Nas in terms of his, his view on, on Christianity. And that doesn't mean that I'm necessarily expecting him to become Christian, but I just don't want him to think that because of negative experiences he's had in the past with people talking at him about you're going to hell. Cause that's the, the Christians should never be concerned. They should never want anyone to go to hell. That's, that's another thing that needs to change. Christianity should not be you telling people you're going to hell. Because that's like, but for the grace of God, there go we all. It's redemption for everyone, right? And if you focus so much on throwing the Bible at people's head and saying you're going to hell, then of course they're going to respond like this. So again, I don't. I'm not casting any blame at Lil Nas, and I'm not saying that uh, that he's wrong for how he's reacting. I'm just providing perspective. Is really what I'm trying to do. Mm -hmm. Ahmad, you you raised a finger. Um, I mean, if if I may, yes, I I was. I wanted to give like a, a example with that because of what you're talking about with, as you were talking about the woman who found Christ mm -hmm. after, you know, like her being a homosexual and then now being heterosexual with three, four kids. Mm -hmm. It reminded me of someone I know um, who will remain nameless, but um, they told me about that they, 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 they were going through the motions when it, came to talking about their sexuality or trying to mm -hmm. um, embrace their sexuality, but they are a fully devoted Christian mm -hmm. and, you know, and they, they, they were 
them and I, we were having a, a conversation back and forth about um, them being closer to God, but have to suppress their experience of being with men. I was having to sit down with them, and, and this this is during my freshman year of college until like we, we talked about it two years after that, you know, they were telling me how they had like their experiences in high school with being with uh, both men and women, and mm-hmm. um, we had a, and we, we had another one. And they were like, "I can't be with men no more." And I was like, "What do you mean? Like that's 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 what you do? Like that's what you love?" He was like, "Oh, but I mean, I don't think that's what God wants." Mm. I was like, "How do you how do you how do you know what God you know wants?" Like. Mm. Do you think that's that's gonna be something for for you to to get closer to 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 guy? It was like pretty much, you know. I don't I don't think it can be. Uh, I feel like it can be a burden on me. Um, but I'm like, this is this is who you are. Like, don't don't suppress that. Like, you're gonna have it in your head for years now. And mm. so now, like when I, when I see them, I'm pretty sure they embraced it now, or they're probably keeping it under wraps. But I feel like mm. people should not do that. Like your sexuality is your sexuality. And if we get on the topic of Catholicism when it comes to homosexuality, that can be a, that's a whole nother conversation. Like yeah. homosexuality was there. Why would you need to suppress that? Mm. And why would you need these Lord, I've seen I've heard a lot of Christians do this, and I ain't gonna lie, my mom do this shit too. But like they're like, oh, if you're homosexual, you gotta get out of my house. You're gonna go to you're gonna go to hell. That's a sin. Right. Yada 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 yada. Like it's it's an ongoing effect and it's it's very toxic. It's very toxic. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 just straight up um human bigotry seeping into uh, you know, um into what they say is their Christianity. But as a lot of people say, um, and as is true, you know, and layered, uh, Jesus did not discriminate who he, uh, who he interacted with based on anything about them. Um, and so it, the goal of Christianity is to be like Christ. Uh, so to be, uh, to be a mother who finds out that, uh, her daughter is, is lesbian and then say, get out of my house. I never want to see you again is quite literally, the antithesis of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, that's all I'll say about that. Um, Jude, you know, uh, we, you want to move on to DMX? Cause this is, this is kind of related. Yeah. Yeah. Dark man. Uh, mm-hmm. So DMX on Friday night had suffered a heart attack due to a drug overdose. It's not confirmed what substances he was using, but DMX has had, a long, long, long history of substance abuse. And he's been in the hospital under life support for the last week and Mm -hmm. is not looking good. There is very little levels levels of brain activity. And Mm -hmm. I also just saw that he has also contracted coronavirus. Yeah. I read that they are, mm -hmm. uh, that they're performing more brain tests on him today. Yeah. And it's going to, to kind of determine his fate because it, we don't know really what's going on, but it is rumored that he's in a vegetative state yeah, and is not looking good for the, for X. And I thought I'd be taking this a little bit more harder, but with my mom passing last year, it's just a lot going on, but I love DMX. 
I mm-hmm. love DMX. As wild that nigga was, and that was the crazy shit he says, and <laughs> how violent the lyrics are, but how dope he is. I love DMX. In a lot of ways, I was talking to my therapist about this earlier. He reminds me so much of my, of my pops. Mm-hmm. Like the way their lives kind of went are very similar. Like they're both kind of abandoned by their parents, both um, started using drugs when they were teenagers. Yeah. Funny enough, they were both they both worked for the post office. <laughs> they oh, got yeah. yeah, my dad <laughs> was a post office worker, DMX was a post office worker, and they were able to kick their habit for a little while. But then there was a point my dad got basketball injuries, got got hooked back on to um, heroin from the uh, medication they gave him for um his shoulder injuries. And DMX are using drugs again because, you know, rock star shit. Like, you out there, mm-hmm. shit happens, bro. And also niggas have mad kids. DMX got, like, 11 kids. <laughs> My dad got six. <laughs> and they're both bald black men. <laughs> right. But the also just emotionally, what I saw, see in X, I see a lot of my dad in him. Yeah. So it's just like watching my dad all there's over. Even a, there's even a little bit of a physical resemblance. You can see know. it. It's really weird. Yeah. And what else am I about to say? Like DMX is 50. My dad died when he was 52. Mm-hmm. And what the fuck else is about DMX? And so emotionally with DMX though, is when he cries, it's heavy. And yeah. I remember I saw my dad die. Dad died. I saw my dad cry a few times. And it was really heavy. I remember I think my dad was on the phone with um, our, my grandfather. Mm-hmm. And something happened. My dad started crying. And I wiped his tears. And I see DMX cry in interviews sometimes. And I just want to wipe the man's tears. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, damn. When, when you hear X be vulnerable, you hear him being violent, rob niggas. You know, he, had, he has such crazy ass lines that I want to say, but I don't want to repeat them because, oh my God, it is crazy. Yeah. But. But you hear all that violence, but then you hear him be vulnerable in some of the prayer stuff he was doing because he's heavy into into Jesus. Mm-hmm. Also, maybe a little homophobic sometimes, being <laughs> gonna lie to you with his, mm-hmm. some of the lines he has. But and I think my dad was too. But I there's still just that feeling that they have unconditional love, but love for other people, but also they're vulnerable to us. Yes. DMX kind of gave himself in his music where yeah. everybody loves X somehow. Like DMX gets his flowers, he gets his respect in hip hop and people are showing their love, showing their support, but it's it's just not looking good for DMX right now and he's on life support right now. And I actually wanted to pose a question for you guys. Mm-hmm. It's very scary. Sorry for me to get this so morbid already. Um, so good. Not be- like before my mom even got sick. Me and my mom had a conversation about um, what she wanted yeah. to happen. Um, like my mom never wanted to be put in a casket, so we cremated her. The first thing I told my aunt when my mom died, but also what my mom wanted to do if she was in like a vegetative state like that. Mm-hmm. I didn't have control over it because my aunt is like next of kin. And I forgot how it works, but also my aunt's a doctor. So she handled all that because mm-hmm. my mom was um, pretty much on life support at one point, but came out and was good. and was gangster, but it was too much. So 
have y'all have conversations with your parents if something goes down like that? Have y'all had that conversation with your parents? And for yourselves, what do you guys think you would want if you're caught in, in a situation like this? I'll go first. Yeah. Um, wow. Uh, I would say that I have not had the conversation with my mom. More so would even think of having a conversation with my dad because that's a whole totally different conversation. Um, but with my mom, I feel like I've I've had the thoughts in my head plenty of times, like what what would happen one day if this woman gets sick and some shit like this happens to her? Mm-hmm. I bro, I don't, I don't even know. I this this is me remembering six years ago when when my grandmother passed away. It was it was hard. It was hard. Like yeah, I couldn't even. Whew, like I couldn't even function my my emotions. So let alone having my mom, yo. And I know like my mom, she's still going through it, even though it's six years, like it's still endless. Like she lost her mom. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. to 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 even think about that day when it will come, um I don't I don't even want to put that in I I it's in my head, but I do not want it to happen. Like that woman is like my she's she's my best friend. I can't even mm. I feel like my whole body, my whole mental state would just be shut off for quite some time. That's not even and and I I, I would say I appreciate you for, for bringing this up because we you know we normally we talk about everything on this podcast, but yeah. you know, for folks to just realize like to hear these 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 real words like I really do not know where or how I would feel if that day were to come. Mm-hmm. I would like it's no there's no no question about it. And with my father, him and I have had our differences, plenty of differences. Him and my brother had differences, which is why he's not in the picture. But mm-hmm. if that day were to come, like I would still feel some type of way about it. But not as strongly as my mom, who has been there twenty five eight. That's yeah. Whoo! Let me shut up. <laughs> Let me- <laughs> no, no, yeah. I'm. It's it's it, it's it's touchy. Um, I'll say this. Uh, when my father contracted coronavirus uh, this time last year, um, one of the reasons I didn't tell a lot of people is because well obviously first of all my parents requested privacy for that you know um but also because i didn't know how it was going to go and i didn't want people worrying over me but i then i also didn't want to have to um bear bad news to anyone like as many people as i told about the situation then i'd have to update you know what I mean? And I just didn't have the space for that emotional labor. Um, and I, and I, I, you know, it's hard to remember. It's, it's, it's a hazy time because I, I wasn't seeing him because he had to isolate in his room. Mm-hmm. So I could only, you know, hope for the best, but there were times that I thought about, you know, what would happen. And I was like, well, my dad's healthy. He's a, he, you know, he's a healthy guy. Um, he just got started getting active in a major way again, like with getting back into martial arts. So, um, you know, and just literally the weekend before we did that, we filmed that uh, 
60-second uh, rapid punch challenge that was mm-hmm. kind of going viral where you see how many punches you can throw in a minute. And mm-hmm. he, he was blitzing. Like, you know, he looked good. I, I filmed it. I put it on Facebook and Instagram and all that. Um, and I was like, yeah, you know, my dad, he's, he's 60, but, you know, he's, he's kicking. And so for those two weeks like that, especially that first week when I just wasn't seeing him. And if I did, he was kind of stumbling out of the, out of his room. He had like a robe on and the hair cap and the masks, double masked up, you know, trying not to touch anything or anybody. Um, it was scary. Uh, and you know, I, the thing about getting older is that there's a period where you don't recognize your parents changing or aging because yeah. adults just look like adults. Mm-hmm. But then like when you come into your, into your like young adulthood, you start to notice some things, yeah. um, maybe a little gray here, or maybe a, a little stumble when they get up or it's the way they walk. And there's just something about that. That is very, um, Yo, it's so uh, fucking scary. alarming. It's alarming because, because, now you're it's a transitional period into sooner sooner than later my parents will be more dependent on me than i am on them right and it's 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 you know it's something that i even think about with my dad and his mother who's my only remaining grandparent um and she's going to be 90 this year but you know god spare life or god willing um yeah uh and you know i i i look at their interactions and i'm like you know, and even for me, like I want my grandma to be able to hit, see me hit certain milestones, you know, um, uh, but it, it is something that 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 is on my mind a little bit. And it is something that you try to push away. And I'm, I'm glad you asked it, because um, I think that a lot of people will, will have thought about it and will appreciate us kind of talking through it. I asked the spicy questions, yo. <laughs> yeah, it is a spicy question. Like, it's the question. It's, it's a question that we drift away from and we don't. Mm-hmm. want to talk about it because we don't want to have it in in our heads even though it's already in our heads we just don't want to say the words yeah and it's inevitable yeah. like we're not going to avoid it not right. going to avoid it like you and and you're right like when it comes to my mom like i always want she's always full of energy she still is she's still an active woman at the age of 60 like homegirl can still squat she can still squat. <laughs> so like she she she's always like an out and about person and you know, I'm so I'm grateful that she says she still feels young mm-hmm. and, yes. um, you know, can still like go out by herself and go to like certain spots, go on her walks, go on a bike ride. Like, you know, she's never she's never once like she's had like the times where she um, where there have been some occasions. But other than that, like she's not going to let that um she she's not gonna let that take the fun away. She's not gonna let all that just take the fun out of it. She she's, a, she's yeah. an amazing human being. So if that like I said, if that day were to come, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't hear from me for a good few months. I'll check no, on I, you, man. I'm gonna send you a book. <laughs> and there's one thing I want to say about DMX, real quick, to bring it back to DMX, is that yeah. I've heard, I've seen some stuff about. Um, well, I haven't seen anything. I'm just like saying words so I can get my note out, but. DMX has been an addict for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And drug addiction is a, f- a whole thing in this country and in the society. If we should make, they decriminalize things. If it's a medical issue, it's a choice. It's not a choice. It's yeah. not. No one wakes up out of a whim and becomes a crack addict, a heroin addict, or whatever. And what I wanted to say about X was DMX should not be viewed as a cautionary tale when it comes to, when it comes to his death. Like he, he should be viewed as obviously 
you know, a great artist, mm-hmm. father, what what have you, and leave that up to the kids because I I I'm, I didn't grow up with I'm not his kid and I, I don't know so they'll mm-hmm. say they'll remember their father for who he was and hopefully there's love there and yeah, but I think that DMX should not only be viewed as a cautionary tale for for successful people, mm-hmm. you know, like sex, drugs, rock and roll, and then you're gonna end up like DMX or whatever. No, he should be a cautionary tale for parents who aren't ready to give the love that their children or future children need. You know, he mm-hmm. didn't choose to be a drug addict like someone chooses an occupation. He became an addict to fill the void that was created. Like it's a created, like, like a crater in, in the planet mm-hmm. by his parents who weren't ready to raise children and by a system that didn't care about a poor black kid in, in Yonkers. Right. That's yeah. also what should be cautioning about DMX is when we're ready to also bring life. Like, yeah, I was just talking about us losing our parents, but also bringing life to this world and giving yeah. love to children and making sure that they're okay. And Absolutely. Shit can happen either way. But one thing I was, I was reading when I was doing my um, paper last year about drug addiction was that not all people with trauma become addicts, but all addicts have childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. And so we have to love our kids, mm-hmm. but like truly, like not with any ego. Because one thing I'll say about my mom, I never questioned my mother's love for me ever. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think I told her that one time, and I, I never questioned it once. And I know people question that love from their parents, and then they seek love in other places, and other traumatic things happen. We have to. Make sure. I mean, we can't obviously cannot be hundred like be twenty four hours on our kids, watch them one hundred percent of the time. Shit can go wrong at any point. Damage will be done, but you have to be ready to come combat that damage and help them cope with that. We have to be ready not just change diapers and be sweet and look nice on Instagram or whatever, but learn how to combat that trauma so things in the future won't be bad like your kid might get bullied help them cope with other things absolutely something terrible can happen i don't want to say but something terrible can happen help them find ways to cope without them drifting off somewhere where you don't know and you don't have any supervision and Mm -hmm. how bad that can end up dmx's mom left him at a at a reform school for boys she abused him prior to that. Uh, well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. She she would lock him in a closet, leave um food like hide hide food from him. Shit mm-hmm. was bad, and Dmx resorted to acting out in school and was wilding. But he's an angry little boy, mm-hmm. and, I, and also the thing another thing I see in Dmx is that I see that little boy, and I'm like, damn, mm-hmm. you know, and. Then he started ripping him around the streets and doing all that wild nigga shit. Right. And it's funny to hear these these things, but then he also like, damn, like it's not that funny. It's yeah, like I learned to laugh with it, but then he like also like, damn, I hope he becomes okay. So we had to learn how to combat we not we, but actually, yeah, we, because hopefully mm-hmm. we'll all be parents someday. We have mm-hmm. to learn how to combat trauma that we don't have control over and learn mm-hmm. how to bring back our kids. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah. So, you know, 
pray for DMX, send well wishes to DMX um, and, and his family. And, you know, what, what will happen will happen. But I, I think that's poignant, Jude, um, that we should be careful in the, if worse comes to worse and if he dies. And maybe that's not we shouldn't even frame it as worse because, you know, being a vessel or I. Right. But but in terms of like, you know. Uh, it, it it might even be kind of selfish, right, to say that him dying. I mean, it would be a tragedy because it's it's early and it's and it's he's an artist that we all love. But because we all love his music, like we want DMX, we want him forever. But of course, we have to consider mm-hmm. the family, right? And if they do have to make the decision to unplug him or whatever the situation is, I, I would I would really hate to see anything online about oh why they do that. They should have waited a little longer because you're not in the room, you know. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, like you said, there's there's a lot that that goes into that. So um, of course, I I send um, my prayers and my well wishes, and I know that we all do. Um, I think we'll take a break now. Yeah, real quick, I send that <laughs> to DMX's family. Yeah, <laughs> Rough Riders forever. Uh, we'll be back to talk about the Tina Turner documentary. Stay tuned. <laughs> Okay, we are back. Our main segment today is we're talking about uh, Tina, the 2021 documentary about Tina Turner, uh, which was directed by Dan Lindsay and TJ Martin. Uh, I thought this would make a good topic because obviously we talk about music a lot on the show, but I think Tina Turner, as much as we all know her name, uh, might, is kind of underrated and, 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 and not much is known about her outside of the fact that she was abused by Ike Turner, yeah. which is obviously a big part of her life, but is also... Um, one of the reasons that she's been so limited and, and we'll talk about that as mm-hmm. we get into the documentary, but I guess just uh, starting off, what were your general thoughts about the documentary, um, how it proceeded and, you know, um, if, if you thought it was well presented, well edited, all that. It was well, it was well done. I'm glad that she was for one alive. I mean, there's a, a lot of documentaries where the artist or the, the um, subject is alive and they're telling yeah. their story, they're doing their thing. But it felt authentic and true, and I, I didn't feel like anything was, you know, outrageous. Right. But right, right. once I once obviously once things got to the abusive stuff, I was like, damn. I was like, I, it, it just shook me. I was like, yo, Ike Turner was a fucking monster, yo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there was that. I didn't know she had kids before. I again, I didn't know their children's mm-hmm. lives, and I and RP to her son because at the end of the documentary, man, there's no spoilers. With that, um, a, one of their children passed away. So, yeah. but I was just thinking about like those kids' lives. I'm like, damn! Like they had their mother four months out of the year for years, right? I'm like, damn, man! I can't even imagine not having my mom twenty four seven like that. Like, mm-hmm. like, yeah, these kids grew up, you know, pretty well off financially. Especially with kids living in that time period, the 1960s and 70s, they lived pretty well. Mm-hmm. But they didn't have their mom with them. And I can't, I can't imagine it. Like, fuck the dad. Like, fuck this dad. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> this particular father. Yeah, fuck this particular dad. With Tina, even the documentary, it's not a really a criticism. It's just something that I want us 
to think about that women do not need to be abused to be strong. Women do right. not need to come from an abusive household, childhood, husband, anything to be strong. You could be a bad motherfucker all on your own with a nice, yeah. wholesome life. You do not need like a transitioning survival story or whatever. You know, girls could be like Mulan. Yeah. You know, like in the cartoon of Mulan, Mulan li- lived in a wholesome home. She had her cute little dog, fed her pig, fed, fed her chickens, and the whole traditional Chinese life. I need to go find her, her husband. But she became strong for her dad, not out of abuse. She didn't like, you know, come out straggling. You know, after some something terrible just happened. Mm-hmm. No, nah, she's sitting there crying, worrying about her dad about to go into war. And she's like, you know what? Nah, fuck out of here. I'm killing these Huns for my daddy. Fuck this. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and she became strong on her own. You know, and it's, it's a thing I think not so much for the documentary, but for us, for the audience, to understand that women do not need to be abused or beat up to become strong. Yeah. That's the only thing I really take from the documentary. But everything else... I thought some gangster about Tina Turner was like, you know what, motherfucker, take the money, take mm-hmm. take all this money that I made you. You mm-hmm. were trap, you were good, you were a good musician, and you know how to market shit or whatever, because that's all that motherfucker could do. Mm-hmm. But all your artists, but, but all the artists left you. I made you money because I'm the shit though, because I'm right. I'm the hot I'm the hot ticket. I stuck by you, but you could take all this money. I'm gonna take your name, and she took that shit to the moon. Yeah, and and Tina's not even her real name. It's like. Her name was Tina Turner from when she was born. That's how synonymous she is. And it's mm-hmm. not technically her name, but no, she owned that shit because you're like, no, nah, fuck you, nigga. This name is gold, and I'm taking it to the moon. Anime Bullock. Anime Bullock. Well, that's the ultimate example of, of reclamation, right? Like mm-hmm. this thing that was used to, to um, kind of um, uh, own you. Or to or to place ownership on you is is now yours and and uh, yeah Tina Turner will be yeah like the Tina yeah. and Turner will be synonymous and that's her name like you know what she's I mean? like Marlo in in the Wire my name is my name right respect right. <laughs> Ahmad uh, I honestly love the documentary I love from what I see I'm halfway through it I'm halfway through it okay but I. I, for one, have known, you know, the relationship between Ike and Tina for God knows how long. And mm-hmm. those are one of the relationships that people talk about. They make skits about. They want to joke about it. But they're not in the situation. They, they didn't live in Tina Turner's footsteps when it came to them being together. Well, when it came mm-hmm. to her just being with Ike in general. Um and I kind of relate to it due to like in a, in a, to a personal in a personal standpoint because nobody should go through that. Nobody, and I, I agree for what to what G, G was saying. Like nobody needs to be abused mentally, physically, or even emotionally abused in order for them to be to be to be strong. You know, right? Uh, it just adds on more baggage for a person, like and also PTSD, like. You don't know like what the other person like. If you leave that person, you really don't know what the next guy will, will do for you. And this this is what they were saying in in the beginning of the documentary. She was that not not really an underrated artist, but if you wanted to come for a good time, if you wanted to come and jam out, then you go to Tina. Yeah. 
You want a nice little relaxing <laughs> time? You go, you go to Absolutely. Diana. You know, yeah, you, you 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 go you go you go to them. But if you want a good time, you want some rock and roll in your system, you go to Tina for that, and she will put on a fucking show. Yeah, she will put on a show. Like she's the woman is. She's alive and kicking. What is she? Eighty one. She eighty one. Look good. <laughs> eighty one. Look good. We're gonna, we're gonna have to get them. We're gonna have to get Tina Turner away from Jew. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> hide her. Hide her. We gotta hide. No, not for nothing. Her that her that husband of hers. I won't be like that husband when I grow up. No, she's just right rich there. and living in Europe. And yeah. no, he's such a sweet dude. Yeah, he is. He is. He's exactly what she needed. Um, to heal from what she had. Uh, yeah, you know, this documentary is, is broken down into, uh, it's told in uh, five parts uh, within the two, almost two hour length uh, runtime. And we'll just, I, I wrote down notes per part, uh, but yeah, before I get into that, I, I enjoyed it. It opened my eyes to a lot of what she went through. I think just a general thing that I wrote down is that um, the the black community specifically, I think, has such a dysfunctional relationship with abuse, uh, especially mm. from her generation and the generation prior, because there's such this closed door, don't ask, don't tell mindset about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom told me, has told me a story about how she was in the street and she saw this couple arguing and the husband was like yanking on the woman's arm and she was like staring. And then this other man came up to her and said, mind your business. You know what I mean? Like, don't worry about that. That's, that's what they got going on. Um, almost in a way, almost in like a condescending way, not even like I'm trying to keep you safe. Um, and, and I think that it's, it's, we see that, um, with kind of some of the, the, the lack of care that we had, that a lot of people had with the Ike and Tina relationship, you know, because it was kind of this, like, joke for you know for a lot of people in terms of like a quintessential abusive black relationship you know you see people using the 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 lawrence fishburne meme as a reaction on on twitter like with Mm -hmm. him turned around dressed up as like turner and like sure maybe that's funny out of context but uh uh but if you know the movie (laughs) you know that was an attempt to that was an attempt to recreate something that that really happened and you know what stuck out to me was that did you watch that movie I'm sorry, I've not Justin. Seen it. Yeah, I haven't seen it. All right, cool. I haven't seen it. I'm sorry. Only so. Oh, I would. I would have assumed. I. I thought you did, Ahmad. Oh, I've seen parts of it. I've seen parts yeah. of it. And uh, and side note, Angela Bassett did a, an incredible job as Tina Turner, and also Lawrence mm. Fishburne, which is, you know, it's Lawrence Fishburne, but they it's Larry, Larry, <laughs> Larry. Um, <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, he. Uh, <laughs> Um, I, light. yeah, but, but, you know, I, he stole so many years from, from Tina is kind of what, like I got mm-hmm. out of this documentary, mm-hmm. like, because she was talented and people recognize that, but because he latched himself onto her because of his own insecurity, um, she couldn't, it took her a long time to reclaim that star power that everyone knew she had. Yeah. And then, and then it's so great because like in her middle age, which a lot of people will consider like the twilight of an artist that's when she blossomed. That's when she ignited, you mm-hmm. know, her debut album came out when she was like 40. Um, but yeah, I mean, so, you know, the, as far as for part one, that covers her relationship with Ike. They met when she was just 17 years old. Um, and uh, she describes a lot of people in the documentary say the relationship started as platonic 
kind brother, of the big sister. brother, little sister thing. But then Ike, uh, after an experience he had where a song that he wrote and arranged and composed and everything was credited to someone else on the band. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they said that that was probably the beginning of, I mean, not the beginning because the man was grown by then. So I'm sure these issues were percolating, but mm-hmm. this kind of like, um, paranoia about being taken advantage of or uh, or not being or being underappreciated and, and, and people leaving him behind. And so that um, uh, when he when he decided when he saw what Tina could offer and he decided to latch on to her, um, that kind of initiated with, you know, the uh, with the Rocket 88 uh, uh, debacle. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah, that is, yeah. Uh, he, he came up came with the name Tina um, and gave it to her. And then they were performing as Ike and Tina for a long time. Um, and the abuse is the abuse is talked about enough so that you know how serious it was, but it's not exploited. I wouldn't say I don't, they don't dwell nah, on it really. At all. And I appreciate that. I think they wouldn't have gotten Tina into the documentary if, you know, without that, and she's obviously a very big part of it. She's speaking, whether in the present or uh, you hear her past interviews for most of the most of the for a lot of the documentary. Right. So uh, they couldn't have gotten her in there without um, having respect about uh, what happened. And I, I appreciated that. Um, similarly, uh, or not similarly, but along the way, this guy, Phil Spector, comes along and he separates Tina from Ike to record her solo. Uh, but the record that they record, um, it takes off overseas, but not in America. Mm. And so Ike is kind of able to reel her back in. Like, see, like, I t- you know, the whole abuser thing, like uh, narcissistic, I told you you couldn't do anything without me, uh, yada, yada. Um, and that's kind of where part one ends. Um, anything that stuck out to y'all in this part? I mean, aside from how young she was when they met? Um, no. I think I think the more things that stick out to me stick out later, and I don't know if I yeah, should say yeah. that now. But no, no, like, no. I mean, yeah, I'll I'll uh, I'll 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 walk through. I'll just move to to part two, which is family, and it talks about um, how Ike and Tina, like they've been together for some years now. They settle down in in L.A. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they they yeah they raised five sons. Two are Ike's, two are his with another woman, and one is uh, Tina's yes. with another man. Yeah. Uh, and like Jude said up top, you know, they were perform they were performing on tour for eight months out of the year, and then they were home for four. And you didn't even know if those were consecutive; like it could have just been kind of blocky. And um, that obviously, Tina talks a lot about how she wanted to be able to provide a certain environment for her sons, and she really cared about being a present mother. And uh, you hear one of her sons talk about how strict she was, having dinner at a certain time, breakfast, whatever. Um, but she, I think she was just trying to you know, integrate structure because she knew that there wasn't going to be a lot of it. She, she um, had the time limit. She, her, huh? She had the time limit with them. Right, right, right. And, and um, she herself grew up in an abusive home. Uh, her her father, you know, abused her mother, and she talks about how one day her mother left, just vanished without any explanation. I thought she got killed a, a little bit. I was like, the way she they got killed, her, right? Yeah, yeah no. like I uh, love my mom. She was, I'm like, well, she 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 got killed. Like, no, no, she left, and 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 Tina said it was interesting hearing her talk about it. She was like, you know, you left, fine, but I I thought she was going to come back for us, and she never did. Uh, and, and that's also, they get into that later when they talk about her relationship with her mother, which kind of mm-hmm. 
recon- they reconnected in her adulthood. Yeah, um, it's like what I also said about earlier. You gotta be ready to love your kids, man. Yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. Um, uh, in 1971, Proud Mary dropped, uh, which is kind of like her, probably her most famous song, at least from that rock era. Uh, and uh, that's a big wave of attention on her. But eventually, like with a lot of artists, maybe even every artist, uh, the hits slow down, the money stops coming in as quickly as easily. And there's that, that you know, that lean period where you're like, what am I going to do next? <laughs> um, and so uh, I, in that moment, uh, is in that period is more impatient and violent. I think this is where they talk about him throwing the hot water on her. Oh yeah, the hot yeah that was, oh. yeah, and and leaving leaving her a third degree burn, um, which I think you can see the scar of on her shoulder uh, later in the in the documentary when she's going to perform, um, and yeah, and the the son saying like in that moment, uh, when my father said like. Oh yeah, she got burned, but not that I did it. In that moment, I hated my father. Like from yeah, I felt bad. I felt um, bad a little bit. And you, they do have clips of Ike intercut throughout, like old Ike talking about, oh, you know, um, because later on she she attempts suicide, uh, Tina, and oh, yeah, she, uh, she she attempts an overdose, and they ask Ike about it in like a, a 1990 something interview or 2000 something interview, mm-hmm. and he says, well, you know, I think she felt pressure she felt like I was pressuring her to be someone that she wasn't. And that's why. And then it like went overboard and that's why that happened, you know, uh, not really taking that much responsibility. Um, just saying that like, she was an insecure person and that's why she tried to kill herself. Not I was abusive mentally and physically. And that's why. So, so good old victim blame. Okay. Yeah. 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 Straight up. Right. Textbook, textbook. Um, but, uh, Eventually, she found Buddhism, and she credits that for giving her the freedom of mind and spirit to emancipate herself from Ike. Uh, she recites this chant in the documentary, and then she talks about how they were in a uh, in a car going to an airport, and um, he he passed her a piece of candy, but it was melted, and she said "ew," and that set him off, and he started hitting her, and she started hitting back. Um, and cussing him out too. And he wasn't used to it because most abusers never are um, able to uh, take what they dish out. Um, And so uh, that was the beginning of her like getting ready to leave. Um, And she did. Uh, And in the next part, come back, they talk about um, how she started doing live performances in Vegas. Uh, This is like what you were saying, Ahmad, the part part where it's like, it's, it's a little sad, but it's also like, you know, okay, she's doing all these these gigs basically after the lawsuit, right? Just let me keep my name because I can bank with I can bank with that. Um, but it was difficult for her. And she's doing these these shows and these dive bars and casinos and all that. Um she did all the shows, yo. Yeah. And, and it's and it's Vegas, so you know, Dutty. Sin City. <laughs> yeah, Sin City. Um, and uh uh she was able to revive audience interest. But the shadow of Ike kind of still hung over her and she wasn't able to move forward with record deals. Uh, so but the, eventually she met her, her manager, who be, the man who became her manager, Roger Davies, who seems like a really cool dude. Um, and he sets up an interview with uh, with People magazine um, to where she kind of talks about herself. And then she gets picked up by John Carter at Capitol Records. But eventually that label drops her, too. Um, and it just came to a point where she was like, okay, America isn't, they can't fathom a black rock star. 
for some reason, even though there have been several by this point. And it's like you know, Prince, Chuck Berry, and Prince, Lil Richard, um, all that. But they a black female rock star though. That too. So she goes to England, where like that's been happening, and it clicks immediately. That's um, might. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, this is where What's Love comes into play, which is probably her other most famous song, What's Love Got yes. to Do With It, which is also the name of the film that Angela Bassett uh, stars in. Uh, it's actually originally not her song. It's by an English pop band, and mm-hmm. she hated it when she heard it because it didn't sound like her. Does, but she she eventually warmed up to it. Doesn't most people like hate songs that turn out to be hits? Like DMX hated Rough Riders anthem. He's like, this song, mm. this is corny. I wrote this in 15 minutes. Or yeah, or even like even even song. after they even after they do record it, like because it becomes so popular, they get tired of it. It's like the actor who is only known for one movie when he's done other things. Like Robert Downey Jr. is always going to be Iron Man, no matter how much more stuff he does. Or oh, Denzel's always going Denzel's to be Alonzo. <laughs> <laughs> to you, but there might be some people who think of him mm. as. Um, uh, Which one did he get the Oscar for there, Justin? You're right. You're absolutely right. And I and I, I know he's done other stuff, but I can't think of anything that's Glory. Says. He did Equalizer. He was in he was John Q. He did John Q, yeah. John Q, homeboy. Was, Nobody's seen John Q, though. I've, I've seen, seen John, John Q. Though. I've seen that. That's a really good movie. It's a cool um, movie. It is good. Um, and also, it's, well, that's, that's besides the point. But he was in Ricochet with uh, with uh, John Lithgow, where he plays. That's a crazy movie. Have y'all seen that? I've seen Ricochet. There's, that's one of my AKAs is Denzel in the pink bathrobe from Ricochet. Because it's just just watch the movie, you'll understand. Okay. Um, but but uh, yeah, he. Um, I mean, Tina. Uh, she dropped the song in 1984, and she was just a little bit over 40 years old, and that became her first solo hit. And it headlined her debut album, Private Dancer. It went to the top of the charts, Billboard charts in America. Uh, and it and it received record of the year, uh, and she was presented the award by Diana Ross. Um, and she from there was like stratosphere, like you said. She took it to the moon. She sold out stadiums all over the world in Rio with one hundred eighty six thousand seats. She was uh, she was performing. What would y'all do in front of one hundred eight thousand people? I can't imagine. You speaking of DMX, that video footage that's been going around on Twitter of him performing in front of like dude, I clean my house to that. <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. a sea of people um i i just yeah i can't imagine i wonder um, who voted for trump in in, in that crowd because i'll point it out to him like Yo, you were out here at woodstock saying stop drop shut him down all that other shot seeing i want to see a, I, i'm sure one of them white girls pulling out her titties to dmx I'm like mm, yep, mm-hmm. yep. no nah, yep. like just point that out to you like shorty you were out here I want up the R and the X. <laughs> caught you in 4K. See, we caught you here in, well, not 4K. All over them. We caught you in 720p back in, yep. <laughs> in 2002. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we love the effects oh, over here. Like, yeah. <laughs> we, we see you. Murder. <laughs> <laughs> Murder. Um, <laughs> Cause I love my licks. My man's in them. Let's <sighs> go and give it to oh, you. Man. He gonna give it to you. Sorry, Tina. We love knock, you, Tina. Knock, Open up the door. It's real. Sorry, last one. Not um, stop. I pop. Stand still. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> when I wet shit, I dead shit like abortions. 
Like, oh my God, that's a hard line, my nigga. <laughs> I'm heading nowhere fast. Head in the face. Get in my waist. <laughs> that story that um that's makes you want to rob niggas bro you know real quick know. real quick tina one last thing D- like dmx had a heart i just said the whole thing back there but he mm-hmm. used to rob people with yeah. a dog mm-hmm. yes yeah you know why he was like a bullet and you know you shoot someone scared him. but a dog is like a bullet that chase you <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> Who thinks like that, man? Who thinks that way? It's so creative. Like <laughs> speaking of the dog, I'd rather get bit by a dog. I'd rather get shot than bit by a dog. Honestly, there is a story that someone was telling on Drink Champs. I don't remember yes that, about oh how how he would freestyle and then the dog would ad lib. <laughs> yeah, dog was gonna bite you. My dog, she might bite you, and the dog goes, "Nah, ma, let me get him." Like, dude, like. Oh my god. god. There was there's so many DMX stories on Drink Champs. Yo, yeah. Noriega, please get us get us on, man. I want to hear some of these wild stories. Listen, man, I'll I'll do it. I no, mean, like, just yo, for, the, for the henny. Bro. Did you ever hear the story about DMX took or I think it was um Hitmaker. Mm. And so he, Hitmaker never had sex before, and he's on tour with DMX, and he's about to bring a girl to his room, his room right next to DMX. DMX comes out the door, comes out his room like, and he sees the girl like, hey, Ma, I, I, I think you left your purse in my room. They just met the girls that night. <laughs> he took dude's girl <laughs> away from him. X is gone. Give it to you. Circling back because we're almost we're almost at the end. Of, there's some interesting stuff here uh, in this part where they're coming to the current era of Tina, like 1985 on, uh, and she uh, starred in a in a part in Mad Max. Uh, oh yeah, she was in Mad Max. I remember yeah. that from the documentary. Um, and people kept asking her about Ike. Uh, so oh, yeah. she she wrote I Tina, which is kind of like a. a Kind of like, a, oh, wait, Ahmad, you're muted on Zencaster. No, I know. Oh, there no, we go. Oh, oh, God, you did that on purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. um, there is a little bit of an echo. I wonder where that's coming from. Maybe that was Jude's. Anyway, point is, um, yeah, so she wrote I, Tina, which is kind of like a biography. And she she wanted to be this like once and for all uh, type of thing. But it just kept fueling the fascination. And then in 94, the Angela Bassett biopic um where uh you know tina 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 didn't really care a lot for it um because as she's saying in the beginning you know like uh it's a lot of pain to relive and uh to have to see that you know i'm sure her relationship with angela is fine because angela's in the documentary um but uh she's doing a job right right but she just in general was kind of like not thrilled about it being made uh, but the, we do see um, her mother come back into the picture at this point, uh, Zelma. And there's this, she talks about how the relationship is strained and uh, how the mother wasn't the most supportive. But then they insert this interview clip where Zelma's talking about her and she says stuff like, you know, she never gives up my daughter. Um, and like, she's saying stuff that's actually really sweet. And it's just like this little mm-hmm. clip that for a documentary purpose, I wasn't sure like what the point they were trying to make was if Tina didn't ever get to see her mother support her or like what but um it was it was a cool moment uh and then it, the the movie kind of wraps up with 
her meeting her second husband, Erwin, in Dusseldorf. I'll be just like uh, when I grow up. Yeah, he's so, <laughs> he's so cool. And they were together for 27 years, and then they got married, uh, and they lived together in Zurich. Um, mm. And yeah, I mean, she, she, there was a, the, it, the documentary ends really sweetly on um, the, the opening of the Tina Turner musical in, in New York City. Uh, in 2019, which is when most of this was filmed. And she comes onto the stage with the actress who plays Tina and takes a bow. And she's kind of saying in voiceover at that point, like, you know, if I take this time now to retire and kind of live my life, step out of the limelight, I'm I'm good with that because I feel like, you know, I'll have done what I needed to do. And her husband says, I think this documentary will, will help with that. Um, yeah. So yeah, we, we, we may not see, you know, any more from Tina Turner, but like you said, she's 81 years old. At least she got the chance to tell this story on her terms mm-hmm. uh, and write some of the misconceptions. Um, and and I, I'm ha- I'm happy for her, man. I hope every artist gets to close their story like Tina Turner. Yeah, in in this way, like yeah. not, not all the other shit. No, not all the other way. Like yeah, to just exactly. like go off to the sunset, live where you want to live. In if you want to live in L.A., Hawaii. Switzerland, a buttfuck New York, Japan, or whatever. <laughs> Yonkers, yeah. You know, I hope I hope every everyone can all like not just artists. I hope we all can retire like that. Absolutely. And also Absolutely. her her name, her name is still like being said out here. Like they were gonna make a Tina Turner musical, um, and the woman who was gonna play Tina Turner, oh my god, her voice, amazing. And, and mm. I think I think Tina talked to her and gave her all types of credit, gave her all types of praise mm-hmm. because this is the is this the same is this the same one that was on Broadway that uh, in 2019? Yeah, because yeah, that's the one that she that she showed up to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, mm-hmm. the writer the writer of it was uh, was also interviewed for the documentary. Really? Um, okay. Yeah, okay. in in the second half. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, and, it's it's just amazing how this woman who has like okay like these hits like they're two known hits that we know right now with love mm-hmm. what's what's love got to do with it and proud mary but to for 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 her to just be recognized and not having her be an under because she's not an underrated artist like she paved the way right. for having well she was not really one of the pioneers of rock and roll, but to have a black a woman, woman yeah. yeah, have a black woman having all yeah. that energy. If there's no, listen, if there's no Tina Turner, there's no Beyonce. Point right. blank and period. Right that. <laughs> Yo, right if there's no that. Tina Turner, there may, there may be no Whitney. There might, there might not be no mm. Janet. No Janet, yeah. Yeah. Man, I mean, no, Jen. I mean, little, you or know, Mike, or Mike for that matter. Because I think they all kind of ran in the same circuit, like like the Jackson Five and Ike and Tina are probably all like running in the same circuit together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back they in were, the sixties. But I'm pretty sure they were both. I'm pretty sure like Tina had more of like she had like a few steps ahead of the Jackson Five because uh, Mike was born in '58. And oh no, of course. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure, like they say, he started performing at 60, uh, 1964. He was around six when he started. Mm-hmm. Um, but either way, like this, this woman, this woman is a fucking beast. She's yeah. a beast, Gangsta. and she deserves 
all 50 years old selling out stadiums in London and Sweden and Paris. And you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. 50 years old, putting on three, four hour long concerts, moving the whole Mm -hmm. time, sweating, shaking. (laughs) (laughs) Sweating, shaking. And I, and I think, I think Jude, to your point, maybe to, to wrap us up is like, I agree that we shouldn't, we shouldn't valorize abuse as, uh, as an ingredient for strong women. But I think what this documentary does is show that Tina was always strong. Yeah. And, and Ike, despite his attempts to break her and to heal her, H-E-E-L, like a, you know, like a dog and his attempts mm-hmm. to subjugate her couldn't, you know, and he was eventually left in the lurch and she does provide kind of a closing note on him at the end because he died a few years ago then yeah yeah she's like i you know i hope that he found some peace i i hated him for a long time but um you know the successes that he had i also loved him for a long time so it's like it's this complex thing and only tina is allowed to define that for herself we can't necessarily come in you know even from a psychiatric point of view and say like well this is that because she lived it again she was in the room um so yeah i mean i highly recommend the tina documentary it's on hbo max uh watch it if you can ahmad finish it um now for a new thing we're doing to end on a positive note we used to do song of the week now we're gonna start tweet of the week uh because we're all on twitter a lot and there's a lot of funny stuff there Mm -hmm. Uh, i have mine ready i got mine uh, i got mine up here (laughs) ahmad you have one uh basically uh no but i'm gonna share one that i put on (laughs) I'm going to say, okay. Yes. But go ahead, y'all. Go ahead. Oh, no. I was Okay. Well, Jude, go ahead then. All right. I saw a tweet and some girls said, what's LGBTQ plus? Gay premium? <laughs> a streaming service. <laughs> <laughs> it's only $5 with your student discount. <laughs> <laughs> it comes with Hulu. Um, I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Ahmad, what's yours? Uh, basically, this is one that I retweeted, but it says me texting my friends after weeks of disassociating as if nothing even happened. That is me. That is totally yeah. me. I'm like, hey. Uh, How y'all doing? It's so long. Uh? And they mad at me talking about so like, why, why you ever hit us up? I'd be like, you know. Life. Shit, shit, life. life. <laughs> shoot eating butt but anyway continue y'all Ooh, uh, right well yeah we'll keep it rolling um mine is from uh at agent fee uh all, aka stun a man apparently on twitter and he said canceling a gym membership is like trying to get out of the cartel <laughs> <laughs> yo blink yo blink is trying to court me right now yo ain't gonna front yeah, Blink I is Blink is notorious. I I I went to Blink one time with you, Jude, in, yeah. in 2019, and they kept my card on file through 2020, and were like charging me. And I didn't yeah. even realize until later, and I was like, "Y'all, I I did I barely remember being a member." Uh, uh yeah, man, they're kind of they're kind of crazy. Um, I gotta get them. I'm just trying to pay these motherfuckers. Like, all right, motherfuckers, like, uh. <laughs> yeah, because eventually they're like, we're, we're going to send it to claims if you don't, you know, pay us. So I, claims, I don't know nigga, that what? Yep. Yeah, it's it's too much. You weak ass Equinox, get the fuck out of here! <laughs> don't tell me you got hit with the Shout annual maintenance fee. Oh yeah, nah. oh yeah. That shit fit yeah. The Shouts out to our boy Jeff Soto who works at Equinox though. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's uh, that's a wrap for us today, beloveds. If you want more Uptown Love, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. 
Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at HVOPod and listen through our back catalog. We thank you very much for tuning in. And, uh, and listen to the Media Morgue that Justin just put out. Oh, yes. The Media Morgue. With also. like four other niggas. <laughs> yeah, that's Talking that's about me. movies and shit, you know. And, and three friends of mine. No. We, we talked about films uh, and uh, and it's great. Um, yeah, guys, uh, we, we hope to, to keep cool conversations going. We're riding out this summer through June. Uh, and then we'll take a break, a much-needed break. But like I said, come back brighter and better than ever. Be easy. Stay this easy. is easy.